The year is 1984. I'm Zach. <laughs> Hang on. Can you do it again? I, I thought I was going to still do I'm Dave at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> the year is 1984. I'm Zach. And I'm Dave. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello and welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club where we go through all of Marvel from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book daddy, the comic book big papa, and alongside me I've got Dave, the mewling comic book infant, suckling at my... Please don't finish that sentence. Suckling <laughs> nope, at you've said enough. my comic book list. Uh, uh, yeah. It's the Dean's List, baby. We're here for My Marvelous Year, Dean's List edition. This is My Marvelous Year. I'm Dave, founder of Comic Book Herald, and we're going through the entire Marvel Comics universe from its origins to today. We're on 1980, what are we on, Zach? 84. Mm -hmm. This is part three, and the Dean's List, because Zach's name, Zach Dean, and these are all his (laughs) picks. Otherwise, every comic we read is part of the curated list, which you can find in the show notes. <laughs> or um, if you're a patron over at patreon.com slash year, if you want access to the full spreadsheet, uh, they, those are all picked by me. That's work I did way back in 2015, 2016. But today, a special episode of My Marvelous Year, a very special episode with the Dean's List picks. Zach, this was interesting. This was a lot of fun for me, actually, because mm, I yeah. didn't, you know, I Have didn't know. What's that? You didn't have to reread stuff you've already read multiple times? Well, or if I did, it was like I didn't see it coming. And I actually think I had read less of this than I thought I had. So that was appealing as well. Um, cool. I There were some of these I thought I knew better than I did. So, yeah, got to read some new stuff. Some I loved, loved. Some I uh, some was Alpha Flight. So let's, um, let's get into Sorry. it again. And, Zach, tell us about your process. What made you want to pick these issues? Oh, well, Dave, the process was arbitrary. Um, <laughs> it was the first time I was reading My Marvelous Year, uh, like just solo, you know, t- three years ago, two, three years ago. Um, right around now is when I shifted to like, oh, wow, I really like, like the majority of the, the floor of quality for the comics was raised for me in the early yeah. 80s. And 1984 was the year where I was like, you know, I'm going to break free of the list a little bit and start like branching out in a big way. Yeah. And so I just started reading like random series that I liked, you know, and I was like, I'm going to read the whole year of Captain America. I'm going to read the whole year of the Hulk, whatever. So these are really just kind of like picks that I found through uh, through my reading the first time. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> genuinely all it is. It's just uh, it was not anything more than just uh, happened on these. They were not on the list and I discovered them and really liked them. And Here we are. Them. The yeah. Dean's List. Zach's Discoveries. All right. We're going to start today with Captain America number 289 to 291. As you put in the notes, your favorite portrayal of Captain America so far. These, for me, were quite fun to read because I definitely... I actually had read the Deathlock stuff kind of recently because we just published Mm -hmm. a Deathlock reading order over on Comic Book Herald. Um, But I hadn't read this this follow-up. 
Yeah, this like starts in the aftermath of some like time travel Deathlock story, which I haven't read, so I don't know anything about that. And you kind of don't need to. I mean, no. you, you can if you like Deathlock and the concept, but you definitely don't need to. I, I will note here, too, this issue introduces um, something we've talked about briefly, but is a big part of your Dean's List. Apparently, you're a huge fan of Marvel's 84 Assistant Editors Month. Mm-hmm. Uh, a huge chunk of the issues are a part of the Assistant Editors Month, which was... All the Marvel primary editors were at a retreat or at San Diego Comic Con. One of the two. Yeah, they were. They tell. were a San Diego convention, like a writers' convention or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for like the the entire month of March, I think, nineteen eighty four. So yeah, a few of these comics, quite a few of them, come from that specific period. But um, basically, it's the the gag is the assistant editors are in charge and they get to be a little zanier potentially yeah. or do some more off the beaten path things with their comics um i would say this ranges from sort of like goofball corny humor to actually really meta fun like additions Some kind of big in the swings. vein of yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 um we actually this is kind of the year of the reintroduction of like marvel characters coming to the marvel offices and talking to staff yeah you know? t- more or less successfully for me some, I, some more successful than others. I, I don't probably. think there's ever an example of that that I'm not into. I think you were more lukewarm when uh, when Doctor Doom came to talk to Stan and Jack back in Fantastic Four in the in the hmm. Silver Age. But I, I either way, liking that. But maybe maybe I was fussy about it at the time. Who knows? My I am notoriously fickle with my mood swings. <laughs> Famously uh, fickle. Famously yeah. fickle. Everybody knows it. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's what Captain America launches in, which is why you get this cover of a Red Skull Modoc, um, oh so this, this is really the reason Burning I America. this issue in 289 uh-huh. was the, little, the tiny little backup story. Like, the front story's fine. I like. Oh, it. you like the backup story more? Yeah, the Bernie Rosenthal <laughs> is really why, why I picked this. The, well, no like, kidding. Bernie America. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the main story. Yeah, no, the main story is great. Like, the main story is a lot of fun, but it was really the Bernie backup story that I read. So the main story is like, yeah, Captain America has been zapped to the 90s. He just got back, and he needs to stop this group called the... Well, the first thing he needs to do is he needs to fill out his Pogs collection. He's back from the 90s. He's got a lot Mm -hmm. of missing Pogs, and uh, I think he has a copy of Pokemon Red. He does hop the turnstile in the subway immediately, which is like, where is NYPD when you need them? Because that, that is a, something <laughs> the New York Police Department needs to seriously start cracking down on. It is a <laughs> genuine issue. Have you been seeing... Oh, never mind. I was going to say, like, that has been such a hot issue in the last year. It's like, <laughs> that the police literally spend more money, um, like, patrolling s- turnstile jumpers. Turnstiles. Than they would, you know, like, make in the tickets, right? Like, they're losing money doing that, but it's somehow, whatever. You know, I have to say, I've never considered hopping it over on the the Chicago CTA um, L. It's just, it's never crossed my mind. But now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure I could jump that thing. Yeah. (laughs) I got to try this next time. Yeah, give it a shot. All right. Thanks, Cap, for the idea. Yeah, so, so what, yeah, what this issue like follows up on Cap's return. He is back from the future, and he has knowledge of a, um, a plot to rid the world of superheroes. And he has seen mm-hmm. the future, he has seen Deathlock's future, where this has actually happened, and things oh, were not so good. So Cap is on a mission to prevent the, um, the removal of all superheroes. And it's actually, like, kind of an ahead-of-its-time concept, Mm-hmm. I think, um, in some ways, you know, this this idea of like, well, all right, we've got all these supers running around. What happens if somebody wipes them out? What does that actually do to the Marvel Universe? How would someone go about that? Uh, here we have writer J.M. DeMattis 
Penciler Mike Zek, inks by John Beatty, colors by Bob Sharon, and assistant edits by Michael Carlin. Um, so th- the actual villain of this is fairly forgettable, I think. Yeah, it's the, the nth, nth command. Yeah, the nth they're, command. They're like a subset of Rocks and Oil, which is the only interesting part is that that's like, more Rocks interesting. and Oil is starting to become like corporate bad guys. You know? Yes, yes. That's the piece I like because that's that's going to stick around in the Marvel Universe for a while with Rocks oh, yeah. as, you know. I mean, Rock, yep, Rocks right. has had like a crazy 2018, 2019 in Marvel based yeah. on my reading of like Thor and Immortal Hulk. Like <laughs> they're, they're quite big later. No, they pop up a lot and it's kind of like it's not that hard to to see why they might, why that mm-hmm, like, sure. you know, that idea of big evil corporate <laughs> might return. Um, so they have Operation Purge is what they're working to achieve. And again, this is all through this pseudoscience of um, eth- nth emanation core generators that are going to, I, I don't, th- it doesn't kill the heroes. I think it just moves them to an alternate reality. Yeah, it's just like, let's zap all the X-Men into space because they yeah. die. It's space. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, which is a, a very elegant solution. Um, it feels like the Red Skull could take some lessons from this because he's like, I have the Cosmic Cube. I'll move you into a, a pit of lava with only one tightrope for you to walk, but you'll fall. <laughs> you'll fall off that tightrope, I bet. Are hard. You know what? I would have said tightropes are hard, but there's... Oh, the in issue 291, which we're going to get to. That there's Captain shot. America walking on a tightrope on his shield. It's incredible. He is, he's, he's like rolling his shield down the tightrope yeah. Talking about how he's like, I am afraid of heights, but uh, the way I fight it is just not fall. As he's like, <laughs> nobody <laughs> like, afraid yeah, of heights rolls a shield across a tightrope and walks mm-hmm. on it. Sorry, Cap. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, but you're really not insane. actually afraid of heights. Yeah, that was that was one of the coolest visuals. I was like, what the heck is Cap doing here? Um, yeah. So the rest of this issue, I mean, obviously Cap comes back and he has all the knowledge of what's going to happen. One thing I'll say is. His ability to memorize codes mm-hmm. is Those pretty codes incredible yeah. because I, in psychology class, when I took it in college, and I think you'll defer to me on matters of the brain. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> um, I remember hearing that six digits was about the norm that the human mind could remember somewhat easily. I think that's why when you get like verification codes, mm-hmm. oftentimes online, they're often six digits. That's like the normal range. For just kind of a casual memorization. Oh, yeah, I do. Actually, I do actually remember that in my Psych 100 class. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Well, I mean, I taught it, so you. Oh, you know, well, I, that was you. Oh my <laughs> that was my. That was my one fact I had for the class, and then I bailed. Um. So, but other, you know, Cap comes in here with sequences, multiple sequences of like fifteen to twenty letters and numbers that he has yeah, memorized. Yeah, combination letters. Astonishing numbers. memory astonishing um but anyway he breaks into the base he's able to stop this plot from happening uh it's a a pretty fun issue skull thing this uh this big brainy robot the brainy robot does make him sort of fear and it 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 brings to the forefront captain america's own doubts and such um which allows a nice cap storytelling trope that i always enjoy which is his will overcomes you know you know what this is this is where i like this is what i like jm Dematteis? Is that how you say it? I say Dematteis. I always um, say Dematteis, but again, with with any creator name, there are probably... Mm-hmm. We're going to say two versions, and it's going to be the third that is the right way to say it. I mean, I, I guarantee there's somebody out there listening who is infuriated that I just, like, arbitrarily vacillate between Mark Millar and Mark Miller. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. sometimes... In the span of 15 seconds, I'll say both, because um, I'm unsure. Anyway. I think I finally got the habit of Frank Quitely. 
down. I think I got it. Oh, it's not quietly. quietly. I always thought it was anymore. quietly. It is quite. You're right. It is quietly. There's no e there. Quite. Um. The the thing that I like that he writes how he writes Captain America is Captain America like really muses about the idea of like what it means for him to be the protector of like American ideals because he's like I know what those ideals mean, but with so many millions of people with all differing opinions, like what does that actually mean? You know, like what does it yeah. mean for me to be protecting america you know who should i be fighting for what you know yeah trying to like figure out what his place in is in all this we get a really fun Mm -hmm. page of him it's like a shot of him where you get like eight different little action shots of him climbing up the robot as he talks about uh you know that he is just fighting for all americans american dreams and you know while when put together they're strong enough to shake the world and it's like the first time captain america has been anywhere near inspirational to me Mm. this is the first time he started to work as that like symbol of american ideals for me yeah yeah i think it works pretty well um what do you want to say so then the backup story here is bernie america which (laughs) so bernie rosenthal is caps she's been caps um i don't know if she's like officially been his girlfriend Mm -hmm. for the longest time but but she's been a supporting character and now they're officially dating which you know has been set up um it's she's actually a really nice addition to the captain america comic because it gives him again just like a it gives him a civilian life it gives him mm-hmm. um his it, but it gives it meaning great, you know yeah, yeah i and, mean his civilian life has been like living this he's the kind of like stuffy uh you know old-fashioned guy in a neighborhood full of bohemian hippies yeah of varying degree and like just having him have actual characters to bounce off he's got a ton of friends here it's really fun and i kind of like bernie just being a regular person as opposed to like oh he's dating the um you know the niece of a shield agent and also she's a shield agent exactly yep yeah so i mean that is so that's what this little story is kind of making fun of is the idea of civilian girlfriends like it's poking fun at Mary Jane and uh, who else? Who else has been like a civilian? Pepper Potts. You got your um, Jane Fosters. You got Mm -hmm. your others. So she's laying in bed worrying about him because he has been like gone off in the 90s and she misses him. And she starts to have this daydream about like. I hate it when my wife goes to the 90s. I get so lonely. Oh my gosh. I'm just stuck here. Seriously. It like if you knew your significant other was in the 90s right now and you're here in 2020. That that's it's it's insult to injury because it's like I miss them. Also, yeah, I'd much rather be there than here, right? Um, yeah, I had a pretty good nineties. Three through thirteen is pretty pretty solid for me, I'd say. E- even if you take out just like the general nostalgia of us being little kids, I'm talking about like what's going on in the world, right? Nineties, yeah, yeah, yeah things are huh? bad. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know what you mean <laughs> you're right 2020 is great okay continue yeah. um i mean i'm doing the dean's list baby i can't complain so uh yeah she she starts daydreaming bernie america sentinel of liberty and like what she would be like if she was basically captain america one of the avengers because yeah. she does know like she, she does know cap's secret at this point right which is important and key to this character working um and uh yeah so like she daydreams that she's at the avengers mansion and i love like she's just like shooting the breeze with the other female avengers the wasp and she hulk and she's like because captain america is also a um an illustrator that's his day job which mm-hmm. is one of the best best details of, <laughs> of early captain america that i think yeah. gets forgotten uh and she's like it, it cuts to a scene of her at the avengers mansion being like and he actually had the nerve to ask me to come back and <laughs> back to his place and look at his etchings that line was ancient when i was in diapers can you believe it like <laughs> and the whole thing is just like 
her being like, oh, Steve, very cute. Like, you're very sweet and cute, but I have stuff to take care of, you know, and just kind of daydreaming of being in the position that he puts her into, you know, just through, uh, because he's a superhero. But then, like, Modok, or what is it? Moskull. Which is half Red Skull, half Modok, bursts through the wall, and she has to fight him. And I love, like, um, you know, the Wasp is just like, I think Bernie gets the Red Skull and Modok mixed up in her head. Like, it's just one of her daydreams, and she doesn't fully know about all of Cap's villains. She just kind of yeah. half understands them. I don't know. I thought this was, like, very charming. Steve it's Rogers It's like four pages. It's simple. Yeah. It's fun. Yes, exactly. Steve Rogers shows up, and is just like, you know... Uh, every time you're alone, you're rushing off on another secret mission. I feel lonely, rejected, afraid. And she's just like, Steve, please, I have important business to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and like, and runs off and he's just like, I don't care. I'll always love her, no matter the cost, no matter the pain. You know, and it is nice the, to see the, the shoe on the other foot a little bit. Yeah, just making fun of that, like, very 60s trope. Like, this is, this dialogue is not far removed from the actual women that we were seeing in the 60s who would, like, stare into the camera weeping because they uh you know their boyfriend had to keep running off and like i'll love him forever no matter how badly he treats me yeah Um, yeah yeah, it's good i i just like bernie rosenthal a lot um but 290 is one of my favorite issues ever really Um, yeah i love this issue which i mean i think might be surprising because there's no plot (laughs) nothing happens here it's definitely Uh, just a lived in uh like it's setting things up for quote-unquote big stories later but it's also just like a lived in who are the people in cap's life right now kind of story and it is i mean what i love about it just boys being boys you know time for (laughs) time for the men to have their their moment in the spotlight there's some of that Uh, aside from uh mother superior or or mother knight being a big player yeah so i mean the background stuff is that like you see the background stuff i mean the the actual plot stuff is there's someone called mother superior she looks cool she's all dressed in black she recruits baron zemo the second to come with after after tearing off his um his mask revealing it, it, Baron Zemo bubblegum yeah has has a number on Doctor Doom like Doctor Doom's oh, running yeah. around here like my face oh it's so bad Baron Zemo's got him beat I guarantee oh, yeah. it <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah, not is... a pretty sight uh, but yeah she does give him his purple mask back and then enlist him to her secret mission which I think we'll see We're gonna revealed see at the end of this next year, yeah. issue um no, we it's, know it's this one it's this it one. is We're, this uh, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so like, we can say it then. So she yeah. reveals that uh, her she's taking him to a Red Skull, and we don't know much more than that at this. She point. She says her father, the Red Skull. She actually points that out. Yes. And then we're gonna we're gonna read this for the next episode. We're gonna read the actual plot line that this is leading into. So this this actually I thought kind of worked well with the main list because otherwise that story comes out of nowhere. Um, and this is a nice little lead into what we're gonna read later. Two ninety six. Um, yeah, you don't need it. Like no, no, you set don't. Up a list but, without it, it'd be yeah. like pretty good still. But I, yeah, totally hear what you're saying. Um, so, yeah, what I like about this, it is Steve Rogers just kind of dealing with his problems, like mental problems, right? He, like, the, the weight on his shoulders, and I do, I was joking about boys being boys, but I do really appreciate the form of masculinity that gets in this. It feels like very positive examples of, like, masculinity and male friendship. So, like, Captain America being vulnerable in front of Bernie and just being, like, you know, I just saved the world from a future apocalypse that happened in the 90s that I saw. And it's like, I don't know how to deal with these big, you know, these big events. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just a, I'm just an old soldier and I'm thrown into the middle of this stuff. And, like, sometimes I don't know how to deal with it. And, you know, it just helps me to talk to you about it. Right? Like him just explaining and, like, expressing the fact that he's freaked out by all this nomad who we have not talked about at all. 
Jack Monroe like, making yeah, a strong MLI. Yeah, maybe you can. I, you can I would say him. introduction, I guess. Yeah. So Jack Monroe is, I believe, not a nomad expert. Um, I think he's the the alternate Bucky from that '70s story that you quite like, um, where yes, there's that yes, Cap yes. and Bucky from the '50s, right? Mm-hmm. The, yes. Like, so without going into too much detail, you know, Cap and Bucky they die at the end of the World War II, or so the world believes. Or rather, Cap does, for sure, right? And mm-hmm. we don't really know what happens to Bucky until later. Um, no, they're both on the rocket, so we, we believe they both die. And um, in the 70s, there was... Uh, who's the writer? Is it Steve Englehart? I don't um, remember. Yeah, maybe. That sounds right to me. They, they do a Cap story where they talk about the fact that there were still Captain America comics being published in the 50s. And they right. do a version of, like, well, who were those people if... You know, the real quote unquote Captain America wasn't picked up by the Avengers until Avengers number four in 1963 or 64, whichever it is. Right. So this I think Jack Monroe is that Bucky and he is now operating as Nomad um, and he is an ally to Captain America. So Cap is also he's you know, he's a friend and he takes some responsibility to, yeah, train him and kind of guide him through uh, what has been a a strange life for young Jack. And he's having like these nightmares um, about just being afraid, period, right? Like he fights supervillains. The world's a scary place. He's in danger all the time. And he's just having these nightmares about it. Right. And like him and Captain America have discussions about like, it's fine to be scared. You shouldn't pretend that you're not scared. You know, here's how I deal with it. I'm scared all the time. It's just, I don't know. Like I found this really refreshing. I read this for the first time, like yeah. two male superheroes just hanging out together, talking about how like all this is very frightening to them and it's just part of the job, but you know, like it's not to be ignored. It is to, you know, it's something to like process and work through. And, you know, Captain America says like, Hey, that fear, it's something to note, right? Like if you want to deal with this, it's clearly like important to you. It's something that like matters and, you know, don't put off like <laughs> talking about it and dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's like, let's go get some exercise. They run into Sam Wilson, Falcon. Just... <laughs> I love this plot line, even yeah. though I have not been reading along issue by issue. But Sam just got trounced in an election for congressman. Congress, which you can see in the in <laughs> issue 289. There's a bunch of like Wilson for Congress in the background. Yeah. Posters. Yeah. Yeah. So Sam was running for Congress, which I love. It's just like a really fun thread. And not only that, but he gets trounced. <laughs> so yeah. So he's kind of dealing with loss as well. And, he, um, he's and he's talking Ross, to Steve about like, it. He's also talking about his alternate persona, Snap Wilson, which is like because that got can of outed. To open up, yeah. right? Well, I, well, we I never, think it's we've dealing never with it. In, about this, uh, have we not? Snap. snap, <laughs> snap. I could have yeah, sworn Snap Wilson we is this. like yeah. This gets re- retconned in and out of existence a few times, but it's basically yeah. like Sam Wilson was like kind of a criminal from Harlem. You know, they get a rough upbringing from a rough, rough neighborhood, and he has this alternate persona in Snap Wilson that the Red Skull did away with initially with the Cosmic Cube. And now, like, basically he's saying he's come to terms with it. And he's just like, you know, hey, I lost. I don't mind losing. I kind of found myself. I, like, came to terms with my past. Yeah. I feel balanced, etc. Um, yeah, his his stuff is not, like, that uh, expressive. Um, you get Captain America, like, seeing a kid about to break into somebody's house, and Again, this Captain America stuff I love. He doesn't just go down and, like, smack the kid around. He's just like, hey, what are you doing? Uh, are you aware you're breaking the, the law? And he's like, that makes you an evildoer, doesn't it? And the kid's like, no, I'm sorry, I've never done this. And he's just like, okay, I'll be watching you. And, like, 
leaves them alone, you know? Like, kind of gives them, yeah. get a second chance. It's the kind of weird, empathetic, weird. It's the kind of empathetic stuff that I was somewhat craving with Cloak and Dagger. And Cloak and Dagger had not an ounce of this. Um, this mm. is exactly what I was looking for. I think this is a good counterpoint to Cloak and Dagger. Even though we're about to read yeah, another Cloak, film. Cloak's more of a Dark Dimension first, talk to you later kind of yeah. guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> At exactly. least in that series. Uh, yeah, no, these are all nice touches. And I the other individual that they the, yep. the, the amount the, of people that we're talking to in conversations makes it feel like uh like a ferris bueller's day off kind of comic where it's like how do they have time to visit all these people while also having this back plot line of uh yeah because this comic doesn't feel super yeah. long but you no. know as we're talking about it it's like there's a lot of pieces to this oh, it's really well um, written. the other individual they they meet up with is arnie roth who yep. um i definitely did not know much of anything about but he is about as close is I think we're going to be able to get to a uh, same-sex relationship in Marvel Comics from this era. Now, we've yep. talked about this in previous episodes, but this was... In the, the language I use could be wrong here, but editorially banned, essentially. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's yeah. not allowed in Marvel at this no, point No, it in time. is kind of a, an open secret that Jim Shooter specifically said no gay characters in Marvel mm-hmm. at this time. Um, so, yeah, but the way thing is, like... JMD Mateus seemed to kind of like sneak it in, right? Like it's so not, Roth, but you read it now and it's like it's not sneaky. It's you know not what particularly I mean? subtle, but you know they never explicitly say it. I guess so. What happens is that Arnie Roth had a boyfriend, which they call a roommate, right? And you yeah. know this this gets into a pretty nasty trope of barrier gays, which is like you know especially in this time period, quote unquote progressive stuff would like have gay characters but then kill them off they were never mm-hmm. allowed to have like happy relationships so it kind of mm-hmm. was like have your cake and eat it too right um this is pretty common so that's definitely worth calling out even though i don't get the you know i mean i don't know i don't know if that was the intention here what the intention was but this this feels pretty respectful of at least their relationship arnie roth is having nightmares because his boyfriend was killed by the red skull or no by baron zemo um yeah. his, michael um, and he's just having nightmares and talking about how he's got this like hole in the center of his life. I'm talking about like, you know, his, yeah, he's, he's like, clearly, clearly grieving through my life. He calls right. And like, I can't just move on. And like, I just, you know, I keep thinking about him and it's, he's just grieving. Um, yeah. And Captain America and Sam and Nomad come and visit him and just like spend some time, you know, taking his mind off things. Um, I like Captain America says later cause Nomad's talking to him about it. He's just like, you know, he doesn't need... Nomad says he feels sorry for him. And he's just like, he doesn't need our pity, but he does need friends. Yeah. Um, he's a, you know, he's a frightened and lonely man. And then this is where it basically becomes text for me and not subtext. Is Nomad says, what else is he? And Cap says, what do you mean? He says, well, the way he talks about that, Michael, you'd think. And then... And then it trails you know, off. Something yeah. distracts them. It's it's that, that piece of it makes it very intentional to me as opposed yeah. to like you know oh they're they're just roommates you could be grieving for a roommate which you could but that's that is not i mean he talks a lot about like the love he had for his roommate michael yeah mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. um yeah i mean if if this is what it seems like which is jm still trying to get this in the comic um despite just acknowledging the existence of queer individuals i think and and having it be like captain america thing. doesn't bat an eye at it which yeah is great you know like i get you it, could it, read it i guess as him being clueless about it like him literally not knowing, which is mm. believable, maybe. Maybe, um, but, but yeah, but I, I don't, I don't think that's that the intent vibe from it. But yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, this. Okay, the thing is, like, I'm sure if you were, uh, you know, 
a gay individual reading this, you're not going to be like, yeah, hell yeah, I see myself on the page. Good representation, <laughs> right? Like, this is not <laughs> great representation here. This is yeah, no. poor representation. I think it is just worth pointing out when it happened, because I think this is the first instance of even being able to say that Marvel even acknowledges that, you know, LGBT stuff exists, period. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And just so we can take a little shot at Jim Shooter here, in the letters page at the back, they've been doing this thing called Question of the Month, where they ask yeah. a question of all the writers. And this month's question for the writers was, who's your favorite author? J.M.D. Mateus says Dostoevsky. Um, one, the letterer, Diana Albers, says Charles Dickens. Jim okay. Shooter says, does anyone really have a favorite author? <laughs> really showing your hand there, Jim. <laughs> like, <laughs> Books? Who reads them? Yeah, Not exactly. me. <laughs> Yes, Who's I your favorite know. author, Zach? Oh, um, I don't know. I don't think I have like a favorite author. I don't know. Uh, nice I really answer, like Jim. Mur- Murakami, maybe? He's probably one of the ones I've read the most of. The thing is, like, the authors I've read the most of are usually series, you know? Like, I've read a big series of books. Dan Simmons? Dan Simmons and... No, I've only read two books by him. I can't really say he's my favorite. Not I don't sure know. you're Murakami. listing I'll comic say Murakami. book writers, so don't really know any of them. Um... For those at home wondering about my answer, uh, it's probably... Oh, yeah, sorry. What, who's, what about you? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll ask myself. Yeah, please. Um, it's probably uh, Kurt Vonnegut still, mm. um, or Joseph Heller, because I love Catch-22. Hmm. I have not read... I mean, what have I read? I've read a little bit of... Uh, what have you si- read? Start from Siren. when you were 11. I've read Sirens of Titan and Slaughterhouse 450... I was going to say 451. Slaughterhouse 45. It's a lot of slaughters. Um, Yeah. Uh, I have not read Catch-22. Zach, Uh, get on it. All right. Let's talk. Speaking of ridiculous farces, let's talk about the inclusion of Captain America 291 and the attack of the Tumblr. Now, I have to say, for about about eight pages here, I was like, oh, he's just punking me. He's just punking me. (laughs) This is the Dean's List saying, you know how many times you made me read a Stiltman issue? Here's a little Tumblr for you, Dave. Here's a little Tumblr in your life. Um, The issue becomes a little bit more than that by the end of it. Uh, This is not much. I don't think it's nearly as elegant uh, or like well characterized. Like Cap weirdly shifts back into being like 1960s Cap. Um, like kind of overwritten cap. So like the first thing is that he sees the tumbler. He's on his motorcycle, which I love captain's motorcycle. Yes. But he sees the tumbler breaking into a building and he says a figure leaping lively, agilely to the street from a four story window, which like very natural dialogue. Yeah, exactly. Is there any character? Is there any Marvel character that doesn't work on a motorcycle? Iron Man. I don't think. <laughs> right? I, that's, if you see Iron Man on a motorcycle, that actually seems kind of dumb. I mean, like Thor Hulk- on a, even Thor on a motorcycle would be funny. Hulk on a motorcycle. Had, like, funny. It had, like, a kind of a, a, a double goat head, like, front piece thing going Oh, on. like a metal motorcycle? Heck yeah. I just think, like, mm. generally speaking, when Marvel Universe heroes take up motorcycles, they look really cool, even if very unsafe, because they're often not wearing helmets. Mm. What about, what about like, Ant-Man or the Wasp on a tiny little motorcycle? I don't know. Well, that's adorable. I'll give you that. That's really cute. I would say Janet on a motorcycle, I'm into. Hank in the sidecar, now we're talking. Now we're talking. <laughs> yeah, sure. All right. Uh, yeah, so th- the Tumblr, is, uh, your joke th- upon me. What did you want to say? I very. I, this is this was not as good as I remembered. Um, it's Bill Mantlo, which I think the writing kind of drags us down a little bit. But it is still um, Art by Herb Tramp, I, I believe, the co-creator of Wolverine. Yeah. Oh yeah, it is. Is the penciler. Um, yeah, good art. It, it, the issue reads fine. Um, I just like this is one of the first times we've seen Captain America again goes out of his way to not just punch the villain, 
mm-hmm. and to like figure out like hey why is this guy doing this like yeah he's not you know he's not hurting anybody he's like breaking into an insurance agency and it turns out like this guy his brother was the original tumbler and he was like set up as a patsy and was killed by a supervillain moonstone and then this insurance company reneged on the you know insurance policy and left him and his mother out to dry and it's pulling so back from the secret empire arc which we actually did read so yeah. presumably the first tumblers in that i have no yeah, memory i don't of that. i don't remember that at all either yeah <laughs> i agreed um but like captain america tracks this guy down and shows up at his apartment and he's just like no don't fight me like i know you're you know a good man we can take down this insurance company together not for revenge but for justice like i I think you're right, and I think they did you wrong, and let's get to the bottom of it together. And he, like, brings a villain over to his side and, like, redeems him. It's stuff I love. We were I like that idea a lot. We... I did find it a little hard to believe that Cap would be like, hey, former villain, let's break into this <laughs> insurance agency in order to find some paperwork. Yeah, and I mean, then it, they kind of conveniently find a lot they more. They stumble across the fact that, like, this insurance agency is incredibly crooked and, like, sets up. Super but Cap villains. didn't know that when he decided to yeah, like egregiously break the law, which felt a little out of Cap character to me. Yeah, you know, maybe. yeah, but yeah. It all yeah. Works I, out. I don't think it's the most elegant. It's a little, it's a little clumsy. Um, but I, I just appreciate like I'm always, I always kind of like that idea of so a little empathy towards the villain and the idea of like what's going on with them, whether or not that like means that you know they recruit them or win them over to the uh, you know the superhero side. I mean, we've seen this a little bit. The Black Knight, I think, went from being villain to um good guy the oh, um, a million avengers yeah it's practically yeah, a, a, avengers a requirement yep yeah, the guy that was in the tree with uh moon dragon i can't remember his name swordsman but, yeah swordsman when you yes. say in the tree you mean in the tree <laughs> yes yeah uh the uh what was i gonna say um yeah uh, yeah we were just talking before recording one of my favorite things happening in batman comics right now is this is happening with clayface who is being recruited by Batman. I mean, this happened like five years ago. In Batman and you, and by happening right now, <laughs> you do yeah. mean from 2016. Yeah, that I am I am reading right now. But Clayface yeah. is turning into like the coolest character because, you know, they are like empathizing with him and showing things from his point of view. And I love that Batman, especially Batman of many, many of these heroes is uh, is doing that. So, yeah, I, this is always a trope I uh, I fall for. Tends and to be I, a fun I, one. I like it here. Yeah. Speaking um, of not fun ones, yeah. Terrible Hulk yeah. number 291. Ooh, oh, okay. we didn't have fun with this one? <laughs> okay. So this one begins, it's Assistant Editor's Month, and it begins mm-hmm. with Bruce Banner going to the Marvel office to have a conversation with Anne Nascenti, the editor on this book, and Nascenti will go on to do um, really great comics work in all sorts of areas, including uh, a super underrated run on Daredevil, and um, she's currently doing work like, uh, I think it's The Seeds with artist David Aja from uh, Burger Books imprint but anywho bruce shows up to talk to Anne in the comic to to sort of ask her hey what should i do about general thaddeus ross and i enjoyed their five to six page conversation and i was very disinterested in the history of general thunderbolt ross which is (laughs) mostly a retelling of the hulk story yeah I, i appreciated it as that you know, like, I feel like if you were like, hey, I want to start reading the Hulk, you could start right here because it would give you basically everything you needed to know from the 60s yeah. today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a catch-up issue. It's by Bill Mantlo, mm-hmm. um, it, which, I mean, again, not to be on Manhandle and Mantlo here, but... A, a low Bill Mantlo. No. I, I mean, I do think... Low blows of Bill Mantlo. Low blows of Bill Mantlo. That's what we call it, yeah. I do think, like, at a certain point, 
we do have to acknowledge like most of the comics that he's written that we talk about were kind of like eh, you know like I, I do think that has been our general consensus um for a lot of the work now to be fair i've had a lot of yeah. readers in the club telling me like no like there's some much better hulk stuff that he's written in particular uh they, they mentioned in issues. this issue they talk about the issue i think i've said it where hulk gets a parade which is a lot of fun people should go back and uh, and check out that one um, yeah, you know what? Like, I agree. I think this um, was a little bit better in my memory than it panned out. Though I, I liked it. I liked a little look at General Ross. Um, I mean, that cover is immediately grabs your attention. <laughs> General Ross holding a pistol to his forehead. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it pulls no punches. Um, the, I mean, the issue does, it goes there. You know, yeah. it gets to the end of things and Ross is, he, I mean, so he's, at this he's point, the he has betrayed. Thing of yes, hardcore. He's too poisoned by his hatred of the Hulk, and he, like, unleashes the abomination on him. And now he's dealing with the fact that he has, like, committed literal treason because the Hulk was pardoned, and he yeah. unleashed a supervillain on him. Um, so he uh, yeah. he decides he's going to kill himself. He pulls out a gun, and he can't go through with it. I actually says, like no, he that's says, the coward's way out or something. No, no. Effect. He says, no, that's too honorable. <laughs> too honorable. <laughs> yeah, he calls it. I actually, like, went back. I was like, no, wait a minute. What? He's like, no, no, that would be too honorable. <laughs> like, it'd yeah. be more honor than I deserve, which is kind of a, a funny way of viewing things. Um, but, uh, yeah, I liked, I liked, you know, Bruce Banner showing up at the uh, the editor's office. Um, and I, I liked General Ross's story. I kind of liked seeing the whole thing through his point of view. Um, especially, like, eight-year-old General Ross saluting his military man dad. And eight-year-old already has a big, thick mustache. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I knew you'd like that. <laughs> I did love that. And I did also have to ask um, my my wife, who was raised in a military family, if uh, her father read them uh, tales of valor <laughs> before bed <laughs> yeah. and feats of military conquest. And turns out that may not be as common as General Ross made it sound. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought this issue kind of sucked. Um, but I did like... <laughs> I did like the Bruce Banner uh, shows up at the Marvel Office's piece. And I mean, conceptually... I get where they're, I get the approach here, right? I do like the idea of like let's let's do a Thunderbolt Ross deep dive. Um, I just thought the execution was just very expositiony and just it was too Wikipedia for my sure. liking. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Um, what I did, I think the better Hulk story here is what if forty five. Um, that Bill Sinkevich cover, baby. Oh, he's done. He does a couple. I think he does forty five or forty four and forty five, and they're both yeah. really good. Yeah, he's doing. Um, he did like some Hulk covers too, because I was clicking in on those. Like, there's one where it's the um, thick Hulk standing above a, a water source, and he mm-hmm. sees a, his reflection, and his reflections all Sinkevich abstract arty. Kind of looks like a warlock from New X Men, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But anywho, covers awesome. This is what if the Hulk went berserk, baby. And uh, really, what it is is what if the gamma bomb that went off merged Rick and the Hulk in um in such a way that Rick had like psychic access to the Hulk's mind. And so instead of Bruce throwing him in a trench and saving Rick and Bruce getting exposed and becoming the Hulk, they both get hit. There's no trench. So that's the difference in this world. It's <laughs> just one trench. And that means that both Rick and Bruce somehow survive exposure to the gamma radiation. Um, yeah, literally nothing else way, changes. Like Bruce still turns in the Hulk. Rick yeah. still is a dweeb um i mean rick rick is i love like that they're still just like bruce was trying to pull um rick jones down into the uh the trench and he's just like hey what's the big deal man a bomb yeah <laughs> like, yeah just meanwhile rick's like nancy my friend 
is blowing in the wind. That was my harmonica, that last part. What was the song, though? Blowing in the wind? Oh, I did not get to work on your your melodies. And the mouse with the overbite says it's time to go. I thought you might have been doing, yeah, Idiot Wind, maybe? I mean, that (laughs) makes sense for Rick Jones. Um, God, the idiot, like, framing Idiot Wind all around just Rick Jones. Like, it's hey, a wonder you this was gonna. I was gonna do a patron goal of all Dylan songs, but changing the lyrics out for uh, pop superstar Rick Jones, hmm. and uh, the club seemed into it. But Zach said, "Dave, no songs." He's been keeping me down, club. Yeah, I've edited them all out. <laughs> I, have, I performed a seventeen and a half minute version <laughs> of Idiot Wind, <laughs> and you edited the heck out. He did. He did both a drum solo. And as a guitar solo, by mouth. <laughs> by mouth, by mouth. That's the thing. When I say performed, we're talking yeah. all vocals, baby. I'm uh, okay, a one-man so acapella band. What's happening is the Hulk is rampaging. He, you know, he escapes. He starts rampaging. General Ross, who I love, has, has not learned his lesson from Hulk 291. Um, no, no. Is like, oh, well, you know, we figured out there's the connection between Rick Jones. Let's torture this kid. <laughs> Who's dying of radiation sickness. Yeah. I guess we'll torture him to, like, get at the Hulk and lure the Hulk back here. Um, so they just, you know, like, they're injecting him with some kind of... This was the this was the part of the comic where I said, oh, this is why Zach loves this comic. I genuinely... Because they torture no, Rick. I genuinely had no idea that... I forgot all about this connection aspect to this. So this was not why, but it is a nice little perk. Um, nice I, I like, yeah, perk, at one point, like, uh, General Ross, they give him a, an ejection in the arm. Of just, I think, his actual medication to keep him alive. And he goes, uh-huh. Yow, you moron, that stings. <laughs> He's just such an idiot. Um, and General Ross about is his just shots. like, Yeah, General Ross is like, Unfortunately, we will have to torture this boy. And I was just like, yeah, I don't know. Fine, <laughs> You're I like, guess. Shrug. That's fine in this case. Uh, what they do do is they torture Rick so hard he dies. Yep. And that means he dies in the Hulk's head, severing the connection that he had developed with Bruce Hulk. This drives Hulk a berserk, as the What If title. You killed Rick inside Hulk's head. You killed me. Now Hulk kills you. Exactly. And this leads to a comedy of 80s neck snapping. It is. (laughs) I forgot how much he just snaps necks and backs yeah so hulk snaps uh, there's a whole lot of fighting all the heroes show up hulk snaps ben Grimm's neck that i had forgotten about that's rough like rough the, the... and then the comic ends with thor snapping hulk's neck oh and you also forgot he he breaks iron man's back or no he doesn't break his back he breaks the circuitry that like keeps iron man alive so he kills yeah. both um yeah he kills both ben Grimm, who like is saving him like Ben Grimm is pulling him out of a blast, and he's reverted to Bruce Banner, and Ben Grimm has reverted to his human form. It he is so. Like it is so Marvel. Him. What if? Like it is. <laughs> Marvel. Is, what if says, "Hey, really what if we took a premise and then made it the worst <laughs> version possible?" And yeah. that's what this one does to you. So it just, you know everything what? ends terribly. So you know why I'm I'm including this one is because this is the first. I what think we if talked that about that. I read. Oh, Rick because because I got off on watching Rick Jones get tortured. <laughs> he gets um, brutally, brutally killed. Yeah. No, this is the first what if that we have read that feels like here is, a, you know, here's a conceit, here's a question, and like let's try to follow it through to a natural conclusion instead of like what if Jane Foster was Thor? Well, she wouldn't be for long, but she would marry Odin. <laughs> what <are you> talking <laughs> about? Instead what if, of a uh, weird jump, you mean like a yeah. like a conceptual leap? Which, which just feels like arbitrary, you know, nonsense that has nothing to do with the conception, right? It just yeah. Feels I mean, like this escalates quickly, but it's all 
it's all tied into the same plot, I guess. It's all right, tied which is, into the same What if idea. Hulk was out of control and he really lost control, which feels like an actual possibility in the, yeah. uh, you know, the mainline Marvel world. Like, what if Hulk really lost control and had a reason to be angry? At you know what I think world? is so weird about the use of that premise here, though? Is that's mm-hmm. not really like the idea of what if Hulk went berserk is like is like Ultimates is like, you know, in, in the Ultimate Universe Club. We sure. read Ultimates not too long ago. And it's like, what if he was rampaging through New York City and c- had completely lost it? You know, which is a thing that happens every so often in the Marvel mm-hmm. Universe in varying forms. Well, it, except that you always have that thing where it's like, good thing that building was empty. Like that that building was planned for demolition. You know, I think they're just saying. Yeah, like, but like what damage does Hulk actually get to do here? I mean, before, kills, like, because it's so ben close Grimm to his Iron origin. Man. No, he definitely kills a bunch of soldiers too. Like, he throws helicopters out of the sky and but rips like, them in half. But it's and... all the people that are attacking him, like out in the open. Yeah. It's not him like going berserk through the American populace. Sure, like he's not rampaging through a city. Like he's just in a field getting attacked by soldiers and heroes. Yeah, right. I guess so. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't think this is like wow. This is a fascinating exploration of the core of Hulk's character. I don't think it's that. Um. I just think it is interesting to finally see a what if that actually like follows through to what seemingly an ending that seemingly makes sense because it kind of does feel like, yeah, if the Hulk lost it, you probably just have to kill him, right? Like you wouldn't have a choice. Here's the thing about that though, Thor, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't stick. Um, I also just like, we haven't really seen, you know, like, I mean, Thor like snapping someone's neck, just kind of cool. (laughs) <laughs> kind of cool. It appeals to like thir- is it? <laughs> yeah, it just appeals to like the the fourteen year old me who you know yeah, also yeah. thought that like ultimatum was cool the first time I read it. <laughs> you know that kind of mm-hmm. like hell yeah violence. Well, I'm, you're a uh, big uh, Vor guy. Violence. I'm a big what? Vor. Thor. Yeah. V o r e. Vor guy. Vor. Yeah. What is? Isn't I mean, that what it is? Like people eating people, like cannibal stuff. Oh, might, oh, oh, this might be yeah, a poor that, thing. <laughs> I don't know. Excuse me. Vor is not cannibalism. You monster. Uh-huh. I'm alive in their belly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, much better. Okay. Um, okay. So I, I want to say if I had read this before today, <laughs> which is uh-huh. when I reread all these, uh-huh. I would have realized that what if 46, the next issue, way better. Have you read this one? That what <laughs> no, if Spider-Man's this? Uncle Ben had lived? That uh, one I don't is, think I have. No. That one is like one of my favorite what ifs. It is a really, really cool exploration of like what role Aunt May... Uh, slash Uncle Ben have in like forming Spider-Man's personality and uh, his set of morals. And it's like one of these things where it's like, oh, okay, like he's not a completely different person, but these changes in his life matter. And here's how that would play out. I kind of wish we had put 46 in instead. I think 46 sure. is actually much more interesting. So, All right. Uh, Dean's if, List Edition. Check it yeah, out if you want to go do that. Um, Marvel Fanfare 15. So is this is the issue just... that I... I loved. Have it you not read this so before? Oh, good. I I've hadn't read actually like read it. I just times. looked at the cover so many times. I thought I had. I mean, I had it takes never read literally fanfare. two minutes to read the whole thing. It's such a breeze. Uh, I actually soaked in a lot of the details. Like, I, I oh, spent oh, oh, oh. probably like four minutes on that first two. page. Yeah, I, I spent two minutes analyzing the art in each panel. I like to spend like four minutes first read. Then I turn the page, jot down like, you know, three to five hundred words of notes, then flip <laughs> back. And then, no, no. But seriously, that first page. So this is all written and drawn by Barry Windsor Smith. I think mm-hmm. he even inks and colors the whole thing. Um, Who we've and, seen and liked his work of, on uh, X-Men, right, in the 60s? No, is not that not correct? that early. But he's done some stuff in the 70s. He's, he's a very 
famous for uh, Conan, like the early Conan stuff, which obviously we, we didn't do a lot on. He's going to do some awesome X-Men work we're going to read. Um, he's done some other stuff here and there, though. It could have been an early Uncanny. Um, yeah, it's not with Claremont, though, yet. 198. Yeah, we haven't read those yet. Oh, okay. I don't know what I'm thinking, then. We're going like to read some of those. I've seen him. Okay. He yeah. also, Barry Windsor Smith also does um, the Weapon X storyline in the 90s, which is Marvel Comics Presents, I think, 72 to 84. That's mm-hmm. definitely on the list, and those are some of my favorite comics ever. Those cool. are awesome. So, uh, yeah, he's great. But um, this issue is a prank war between Johnny Storm and Ben Graham, and that's mm-hmm. it. 20 issues, prank war. I, mean, I love ben I love Human Torch pranked. prank wars. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's great. And I mean, he, the thing is, like, very little dialogue. He really Doesn't knows how it. to, like, sell. Doesn't yeah, exactly. Like, the first four pages don't really have any dialogue. They have, like, Ben Grimm muttering to himself as he wakes up, but there's not really any meaningful dialogue. Um, but he, like, knows how to really set up a premise just visually. And it's, like, it's very impressive work to be this, you know, have, like, such a light touch. And then it's just, like, super funny. Like, Johnny Storm glues a bunch of cut drinking straws to uh to Ben Grimm's face mm-hmm. so that he thinks that he's like growing a beard. <laughs> yeah. And just like maybe I'm reverberating or something. And also the the to- the tone that he uses for the thing is my absolute favorite yet. He like yeah. gets right. he gets the thing's voice. Well, because so he's well. gruff and and grumpy, but he's not like genuinely mad. Like he's not he never hits a point where he's like that crazy guy who's going to no, go into somebody's no, no, no. office and start breaking furniture, you know? Yeah. Like I mean, that he, Silver Age he version? notices that uh, Johnny Storm has put uh, roller skates at the top of the stairs, and he's just like, I can't believe Johnny would do something so Mickey mess. Let's see if I can fake him out. He, like, kicks the, the rolling the uh, the roller skates down the stairs and mm-hmm. just, like, thumps and goes, ouch! And then, like, waits a second to hear if uh, Johnny Storm shows up. Yeah. He eats his breakfast. They, God, this is somebody this left like, some some delicious pancakes out, and Ben's like, "Well, which he hesitantly tries, and he's just like, no Tabasco, okay, they taste pretty yeah. good." He's like, "All right, I'm gonna eat his breakfast," and then a spring well, and the funniest out. part of that too is like, this is the Fantastic Four. If everyone's missing, it could mean something terribly like wrong <laughs> has happened, and Ben's just like, "Nah, gotta get these pancakes," which is great. Um, but yeah, what you're describing too is like, okay, Ben knows there's this escalating prank going on, right? Like and he sees what Johnny's doing, and he's trying, time. and he's like, "Oh, the roller skates that was weak. Oh, pancakes. There's nothing wrong with them. Like I'm just gonna eat these, right?" And then it all builds to, um, it just keeps building, like so, piece by piece. This is my favorite line. He, uh, you know, he takes his robe off because they're covered in pancakes and syrup, and he mm-hmm. finds that Johnny has put a "kick me" sign on the back. Yeah, and like at this point, he's furious. He's like raging about the pancakes, and he reads the sign. It says, "Kick me, choke." And this from the kid I pulled from the wreckage of a misspent youth. Johnny boy, you growed up a bum. <laughs> that yeah. that line had me howling when I first read it. It's so funny. Just the moment of like, he's just sad that, uh, you know, like Johnny Storm is, is such a juvenile delinquent. <laughs> yeah. But then he goes to find him and then, um, you know, he sets up like a fake out Doctor Doom, Super Scrawl, uh, Herbie, I think. Is that the joke? Poking There's like a Herbie? huge like runway that Ben falls into. And it's basically, yeah, it's basically like a roller coaster that Johnny has set up where he's running through all these um, prints of of villains. He, You know, at first it's like a huge Doctor Doom and he's like, no, this is way too funny for him. Like he's, he doesn't have a sense of humor for this. Oh, yeah. And it he's turns like, out they're all like, but you don't have a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. it basically it shoots him into a huge room full of balloons, I think. Yeah, it's like a ball pit or something like that. Yeah. yeah. 
Where um, we and, realize that, like, it is not April 1st. Johnny Storm pops up on all the monitors and is like, April Fools. And then Ben Grimm does the, like, 30 days has September, April, June. And then, like, realizes that, uh, you know, it's actually, was it, like, May 30th or something? Yeah. Well, March for most of us. Um, which is a great May gag. G- oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's so. a great gag. Johnny's like, oh, didn't realize. You know, so it's like he set up this whole April Fool's Day prank for Ben, uh, not even realizing it wasn't even April Fool's Day yet. So that night, Ben's like, all right, I got to get him back, obviously. He's crawling up in the vents. He sets up, um, what is it, something that's going to douse Johnny? Yeah, just water? a bunch of water pipes, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he sets that all up, and he, he kicks back in his chair. He's going to have a cigar. And if you'll remember, because you spent four minutes studying the art on the first page, <laughs> yeah, there was a snippet in the art there of Johnny messing with Ben's cigars. And uh, the the gag here is... No, Johnny did know, and this elaborate fake-out was all to set the stage for an exploding cigar. Exploding cigar. When Ben just... thinks he's he's at his most relaxed, now on, like, April Fool's Midnight. So it's... And, and it doesn't actually show the explosion. It just no, ends that's, with, like... No, that's what's great about it, Kind too, of a Looney Tunes like... little end, you know, mm-hmm. in, a, in a cloud, in a plume. It oh, is... Like, it's a perfect issue. I mean, this is a perfect is. comic, right? I ten it, out of ten. I mean, it's, it's such a good such a good issue and i mean the comedy is just like so sharp um for uh yeah i mean the funniest issue we've ever read by a mile i think (laughs) like well and just like the character dynamics of it all where it's you know i don't i love ben and johnny's relationship but i think sometimes writers can take it to mean that they like really want to yeah that they're almost like nasty yeah, that Ben Grimm is actually like, oh man, if he landed that punch, Johnny would be dead right now. You know? like, <laughs> right. You, you think that a lot. <laughs> reading yeah, that. yeah, which happens a fair amount. I, I prefer it when it's like two oversized brothers fighting, but yeah, there exactly. there's a yeah. playfulness to it that they don't actually want to see the other in the hospital. You yeah, know? right. <laughs> like yes, that's kind of important. Exactly. Um, and, and that's what this issue totally nails. So, it, man, like I was just blown away. So if nothing else, because of the inclusion of Marvel Fanfare number fifteen, Zach, the mm-hmm. Dean's List, a rousing success. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, I'm curious what you thought of this next one, Alpha Flight number six, mm-hmm. Snowblind. Kind of a classic issue, a uh, really yeah. well considered issue. The issue that I bought when I first started like buying some single issues to hang up on my walls. The first Alpha, the first and only Alpha Flight I bought before. My good friend Dave Busing bought me the whole pack of uh, of solo issues. I think you got me like. The first 24 or something. You know? Something like that. Yeah, something sweet, like you know. that. Well, thank you. Single issues. Um, but this uh, this issue, it's got a you know basically a white cover with Snowbird floating on the front. And Snowbird, as we might remember, is... Ooh, what's her name? Um, Naria? Yeah, I don't I don't remember. Um, she's a Royal Mounted Canadian Rocky Police something. <laughs> what did he call them? No, <laughs> you got it. Yeah. <laughs> They're definitely Royal the Canada. Royal Mounted Rocky Police, the uh, RMRP. Yeah, Naria. I think just Mounties works. Yeah, the Mounties. Um, and uh, this is just an issue where she is fighting a ooh, what name? Um, one of Kolomak. the great beasts. He's yeah, a, one, one of the, of the beasts of seven beasts of Canada. They fought one of the first in that uh, in the opening arc. Tundra, right? The I first believe, one. yeah. But I mean, this is a it's a Snowbird um, solo issue, really. Yeah, we through see, and we through. see. Um, God, his name's not Vindicator anymore. It's um, just call him Guardian guardian yeah yeah because he doesn't yeah, like we, the name we see him enjoying being guardian he, he calls himself canada's captain america which i feel like is giving yourself <laughs> a nickname yeah, a little a little bit uh, i like the uh, detail but, that but he's just, just like, a little bit yeah i'm out of a job but uh i'll survive on heather's salary which is like a nicely progressive little note of uh yeah you know, heather, heather the scientist being like, yeah, is it's the fine real for my wife to support me mm-hmm 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the main thing here is that <clears throat> it's fleshing out this idea of these great beasts, which are the this like ancient race of um, I don't know what you would call them, like kind of these little myth. I guess they're gods. Yeah. <sighs> Mythic gods, monsters that are kind of hiding, like yeah, in that, that have been. They're I mean, like they're thousands like, of years old. They they're not know, quite kaiju, but they're not that different. You know, and they're, they're like, you know they're all. Um, based on like Inuit myth, though I don't think he's pulling directly from Inuit myth. Like I couldn't find anything about someone named uh, Kolomak. Like I Googled that, yeah. I didn't find anything. Um, I mean, because he looks, he looks just like a giant um, abominable ooh. snowman kind of again. Except with that mask. That mask makes him look so cool. cool. Yeah, that mask, mask is awesome. Uh, and he has this big fight with Snowbird and she shows up. And Snowbird is, is also like... Well, presumably is, uh, they have a large fight. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> One assumes. Um, yeah, so Sto- Snowbird is this... Um, She's like the human avatar of another like ancient spirit, this uh, like Canadian spirit. We don't know that much about her yet, um, no. like her backstory, because it hasn't been fleshed out in the back pages of Alpha Flight yet. Which it is seems like mostly she can turn into a bear. She can turn into animals that like are in Canada, basically. Like she can turn into owls and weasels and foxes and bears and stuff like that. Elf can't whatever. turn into a crocodile, I would imagine. She can't turn into a bat even she mentions a bat and i'm like i'm pretty sure there's bats in canada john Byrne. maybe they <laughs> like, hadn't been discovered yet as of yeah. 1984 controversial take by jb so one the, of his most controversial the big thing about this issue is that she has a fight with kolak um is that kolamak who summons in a storm because he is like uh i don't know like representative of canadian weather of snow and he summons in this huge snowstorm and they have like a seven page fight that is in total white it is mm-hmm. text only um, with some little inclusions of like you know a few like sound effect bubbles and word bubbles and narration and stuff, but it is generally all white. And the first time I read this, I was positively thrilled by it. Like this yeah. was genuinely like riveting stuff. I do not know as rumor has it that this was like oh man, we have a deadline we can't hit, so let's hurry up and get this out. And this is a <laughs> sure. conceit. Who knows if that's true? I honestly don't care because I think yeah, even if that's true, it's still a cool. It's still a cool idea. It, I, I'm definitely and, and in favor. And it would be the invention is the mother of necessity, right? Like, yeah, or no, sure. Necessity is the mother of invention? Other way around. Yeah. No, invention's like, hey, necessity, shut, come on, stop it. jumping on that furniture, mm-hmm. please. Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, like it's this, a cool, like it's a cool crafting decision. I think, like, I'm definitely for, in all manners, Marvel Comics in this era, in any era, that are like, hey, let's try something pretty unique and pretty different. And mm-hmm. uh, JB and company go for it here in this comic. I don't think it's... I, I don't love the issue, certainly. Um, I think the like the whiteout pages go for too long, or it, they would have been better suited interspersed with some of the Guardian stuff. Mm, um, no, it's like no, seven pages in a row of the all-white yep. battle. You know, the thing is, he um, doesn't load it with text. So, like, <clears throat> it's still too much it, text for me. Uh, OK, I, I got through. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't have any problem with that. I it's thought, a like, it's a really cool idea. This idea of like this snowstorm is so furious. We can't see anything, but we can read what Snowbird is thinking. Um, and the descriptions are just occasion. enough that you feel. I don't know. Like, I, I felt like I really understood what's going on. And I had the idea while I was watching it where I was just like, I have a hard time imagining seeing this and have it be as cool as what's built up in my head at which point i was just like man you know what comic books are dumb i should just read real books turns out real (laughs) books are great because i'm basically just reading a book right now no it's Um, the it's the idea though of that action being right behind this white sheet 
Like yep. it, it does convey the sense of like, oh, if you could just move that layer, that's where all the the this the epic it, you know action the of her are. her shape shifting many times, and you get yeah. like the idea they fall off a cliff together. Everything goes silent as they like plummet to the ground. I mean, there's no question um, it would be less interesting if you actually saw that as yeah. as a comic yeah. book typically does. Like I, I don't have any doubts about that. I think my thing is if this if this approach was taken in a comic that I already had a lot of invested interest in for like if this was an X Men. I would say this issue is the coolest. Um, but because it's Alpha Flight and it's Snowbird and I just don't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like, I'm just not hooked on these characters. Uh, I'm more like, I appreciate the craft here, but as the story goes, I was, I'm still pretty checked out. I have nothing to say to that. Wow. It's terrible. No, I don't know I what it, it is. Like, it's just like Alpha yeah, Flight just doesn't. Good. They just don't do anything for me. Um, I, yeah, I appreciate, like, I mean, you know what? John I Byrne is a skilled matter. creator at this point in time. I don't think there's any be... doubt there. Um, uh-huh. he's, his X-Men work with Claremont is obviously, like, arguably still the best. Um, mm-hmm. His his work on Fantastic Four is, there's yeah, plenty that I quite I really enjoy. Like. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, and here he's the, he's the writer and artist of Alpha Flight. He's doing some cool stuff. Um, I like designs. I don't, I guess maybe the thing is, I don't know that I trust him as a, character creator yet like like obviously these characters have been elsewhere but he's really fleshing them out and it's not like it's not for lack of trying you know all these issues have backups that feature mm-hmm. the true origins of these characters like yeah it's doing everything you'd want it to to try to explain I, I, who these people I are i think that's i think that's a nice smart way of doing it um to just get the ball rolling and not be like bogged down by six or eight issues of like establishing these characters just mm-hmm. being like Here's all the characters. Here's a story with them. We already, you know, you already are just like following them. And then you'll find out little by little who they are just in the backups. Like, I, I appreciate that instead of trying to like cram in their origins. I think maybe my thing is I just don't like Canada. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, um, I think my thing is I just don't like the threat. I like the idea of, oh, the seven mythological beasts and who are they? But I have no idea like who's who's creating their rise or who's behind this presence or what, a, what's their deal? Like I, the threat that alpha flight faces, which they're all pretty disconnected too, which again is like a cool opening, you know, to be like yeah. alpha flight just yeah, got yeah. broken up. That's where we're starting. But it also makes it hard to know, like, what are they, what are they facing? I don't hmm. really know, you know? So, so Snowbird yeah, th- having a one-off the battle is, is strong enough for me. Like that what idea is the concept? and they, uh, the like, that they're fighting like elemental forces of the wilderness. Like I am but interested that's so enough in that. Tired, like this, I think. is it? I don't know. I I don't feel like we've seen that before. Oh um, sure, absolutely. I mean, be- like, beyond like we literally saw it in, water, in John Byrne's first Earth. Fantastic Four arc. Right, but that's just. I mean, I guess I'm talking about like the, these feel like they're pulled out of like a mythology that I don't know. Versus... That's that's what I want to know. Is I want to know. Okay, the way in Thor you would do as Guardian mythology. What is the mm-hmm. Canadian wilderness mythology that is spawning these beasts? Bring that into the fray, and I'm probably pretty interested. And I feel like we're missing that piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Um. I think that all gets built up because this is, like, going to be 24 issues of This Is His Story. Right? Like yeah. Like, he is... John Byrne is going to be focusing on this for years, right? This is a, a long story. I haven't read all of it yet. Um. Actually, I haven't read Beyond what we just did. Like, I, d- I haven't done Beyond 6, so... And there's a bunch of people in the Slack who were actually... <laughs> quite far ahead of me with alpha flight at this point i've read a lot more than i have because they liked it enough um i think i would be i, I remain curious i i have to admit about this if uh 
if I had not been like, I think I've captivated enough people in the club that I feel, I feel like my uh, love has been justified. You know what the thing is though, is that, I mean, there's a little, it's not a bad comic. I don't think it's a badly made comic. I'm well, just you didn't these... say it sucks last time. That's how you came <laughs> in for Alpha Flight one through five. You're like, I think these comics kind of suck. Uh, <laughs> that is no, okay. But there's no, but there's, I think the story kind of sucks. I think the way that I think the craft and the, the storytelling ability is mm-hmm. good. Yeah. If yeah, that I'm, makes sense. I totally can understand just being like, I know these characters don't really matter in the long run. I don't really ha- care about That might be a big out. part of it. Yeah, yeah. That, that is totally understandable to me, being like... Which is kind of BS, but it's a little bit, but definitely I how my mind works. I understand it, so I can't like criticize it too much. If you were just like, here, learn about you know Power Pack, um, I'd be like, well, I mean, I could, even if the comics are okay... You know, wouldn't I rather focus on something that is going to build for 40 years of continuity? Which is silly you know, because you raise like an int- Doom Patrol. Well, it is, right? but like, that's kind of what we're doing, right? We're, we're working exactly. our way through this Marvel Club. So things that are recurring, they yeah. build steam and they and they become more relevant. Although like Alpha Flight does like stick around. These characters stick around through all of Marvel history. And they, oh, I mean, like, the series is going to go for 125 issues, if not more. Yeah, it goes for um, a while. I mean, Snowbird... Yeah is in and out of, like, big Marvel events for a while. I mean, Walter Lankowski, um, Sasquatch, is a big player in Immortal Hulk. Um, I mean, these characters are around. Oh, Puck. I mean, Puck's in Immortal Hulk uh, a fair amount. I love him in Immortal Hulk. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I like I like Puck a lot, Puck a lot which, I've, which I've said. Yeah. I, think, I think the problem remains, like, beyond Puck, who am I reading this for? And, yeah. you know, Sasquatch, maybe. I like, I like Michael T. Youngman fine. I like the idea of uh, Heather and... and um, Guardians relationship you know it's like uh-huh. these things but I'm I'm yet to find that character set that really grabs me and because I think that's actually a really good point because they don't have the long term relevance I sort of just discount them I sort of sure. just like yeah. well I don't really need to know this <laughs> for yeah, the I, stuff I, that I like to focus on. I actually on. kind of feel like I need to clarify a little bit where like I've been like Alpha Flight baby for like a year and a half now on this show a part of that is because I find them um, they're a big surprise and they feel like a cool little personal discovery because no one knows who Alpha Flight is. They're small, like, for it's sure. It's fun to be a cheerleader for something that I feel is like a little underrated and not yeah. talked about. Um, but like when it comes down to it, like I'm not actually, I mean, I really, <laughs> I don't even know how to put it. Like I like Alpha Flight a lot, but like this is not in my top 10 comics of all time. Yeah. There are many superhero comics I like a lot more. I just feel like I've been ringing that bell so hard because it's like, I don't think people know about this one, and I think it really deserves some attention. I think that is, um, you know, worth pointing out. Um, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying on that. I think, like, I'm actually thinking about this now, you know, in terms of totally new series or, like, characters that I didn't really know anything about before, giving them a fair shake, and, like, the comic really has to stand out um, yeah. if they don't have that sort of, oh, they have legacy. Marvel continuity relevance and legacy, yeah, exactly, that I'm going to care about just because that's the type of reader I am. I think actually probably the biggest example of that is, like, Squadron Supreme which is coming up either the next year or the year after that, the reading club. That's mm-hmm. one where it's like, hey, this is a team that we've kind of seen, but not like this before. And uh, and I love it. Absolutely love it. But otherwise, but, I mean, you know, most Mutants of the stuff I gravitate actually, to. New Mutants was very similar to me. I like Alpha Flight a yeah. little more than... That's um, how it felt the first time to me. Alpha Flight. But like, I also feel like New Mutants gets a little bit more of its time in the spot. Like, it's about to get a movie. So New Mutants gets yeah. such an X-Men boost, though. Like yes, it's, exactly, it's yeah. you can't shake the uncanny X-Men new mutants crossing over and weaving in together part of that where that helps it a ton because um, new mutants too it gets like I mean it gets a good 15 issues before it like like really takes off 
Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like that's all. Like, and I'm not giving Alpha Flight 15 issues. So there's there's a patience thing too, mm-hmm. um, which you know I'm not not really exhibiting toward this comic. So again, just to be clear about like it, it's a these are like well made comics. I do not disagree. I'm just finding it impossible to get into the characters in the story. Um, but I know a lot of people aren't. So that's great. That's awesome. I'm glad. Like we should have different opinions and different takes. Uh, but just know that I'm. Uh, I'm Team Gamma Flight, and you're Team Alpha Flight. What do you think about Power Pack? Speaking of speaking being, of comics, I couldn't get into. Speaking of being a child, I <laughs> that's a pretty good one. I love I love that this book exists. I don't love reading it. Yeah, um, yeah. Power I, Pack is written by Louis Simonson, uh-huh. art here by June Brigman. It is the story of kids who develop superpowers. I cool like idea. their presence in the Marvel universe. I like when they pop up in X-Men books or um, in Thor or Beta Ray Bill shows up in their book and stuff like that. Um, I like that Franklin Richards has relationships with the Power Pack. I like that this team has grown up in the um, in the current Marvel Universe, you know, mm-hmm. in, in certain ways. And now they, they have a role with, you know, like they're kind of known entities with the likes of Fantastic Four or whatever. Uh, but actually reading these comics, I, I missed my window. I will tell have you, you read, that they're they're have you read not much for me. More than the uh, the initial few issues, like like odds and ends, where I'm looking for Franklin Richards details, or like I mentioned, I was doing a Beta Ray Bill reading order on CBH, so I read some of those. <laughs> what a weird um, reading order! <laughs> Beta Ray Bill, it's hotly, yeah, that's, hotly requested. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I like Beta Ray Bill, but like, just it's a fun one actually. Yeah, he, he bounces around. He kind of gets tricky to track. Um, <laughs> He's wily, that beta. <laughs> he is. He's always banned and getting all wily. I got to have a sugar cube at my desk at all times while I'm putting that reading order together. <laughs> Anywho, yeah, I mean, Power the, Pack. The I, uh, I like that concept. Was... I just, I didn't really want to read more. I actually, I read these thinking maybe I'll include them because they weren't a Marvel Unlimited when I put the list together the first time and I decided against it. Um, so you included them and you were just about to say why you did that. Yeah, I uh, I kind of did this to round out the the list. Like, I didn't have quite enough comics in my dean's list, and I was like, "These are a terrible reason to talk about." <laughs> they are interesting to talk about. I'll give you that. I, this, these were actually a little better than I realized. I think the big issue that holds these back. I think the art is great on the kids. I think the kids are pretty well fleshed out. The dynamics between the kids work pretty well. They don't have anything interesting to do. I think that's my biggest issue with this, um, is the aliens that come down are weird, and they don't look cool, they don't feel cool, they feel kiddy in a way that the rest of the comic doesn't necessarily, the rest of the comic doesn't feel like it's necessarily pandering the kids, and the uh, the alien threat feels a little bit like it's pandering the kids, despite the fact that at some point, some middle manager crime boss tells his goons to kill those kids with his their bare hands. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, don't fire your guns, kill them with your bare hands, which is like... That's very, classic uh, kids, classic kids aggressive. entertainment. I do yeah. think there's a question of audience that is never super well resolved yeah, in these sure. two issues, like, where is if Power Pack should be in all ages, but skewing on the younger side of uh-huh. that dynamic. Like, this should be a book you either read to your kids or kids learn to read with. And Power Pack 1 and 2 doesn't, really it doesn't really read that way um it's pretty dialogue heavy you know there's a lot of text in ways that is not super beneficial so it's it's written in a lot of ways like your standard marvel superhero line comic but it shouldn't be (laughs) like this book doesn't need to it can be in that universe but it doesn't need to feel like those other books and i think yeah like you're saying the chameleons the snarks 
these aliens. These are concepts that work well in an all-ages concept. The um, All of the Powers children getting their their powers and choosing their superhero names, right? Like, this is good, yeah, young I, I like, reader I like stuff. powers a lot, right? Like, their yeah. powers are fun. They feel varied enough. Like, one can turn into clouds. He can control his mass. One can reverse gravity. The, the, I mean, it all looks good, too. Like, the girl who Katie, I think, can turn into a rainbow, which looks yeah. awesome. It's a really cool visual touch. Yeah, um, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, This book, it, now, it would be a Marvel launch on the Marvel Adventures line through IDW, mm-hmm. or if it was DC, it would be one of their um, young adult graphic novels yeah. that they're doing as standalones. Yeah, this, this you know? is one of those things that I liked enough that I wish it was better because I just am like, there's enough here that I wanted to latch onto. I just wish it was a little more entertaining. Although I'm looking through like all the issues on Marvel Unlimited and like, man, there's some crazy crossovers later. Like like you said, Beta Ray Bill shows up, the, the new mutant Spider-Man. They, um, they tie into the mutant massacre. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, I saw that. I saw there's it. a lot of X-Men Dagger, connections some... because Louis Simonson is an editor on Uncanny, and she's going to go on to write X-Factor, which mm-hmm. we'll get to, eventually doing art with her husband, Walt Simonson. So the X-Men connections will definitely continue. And I really like the Simonsons together on X-Factor. Again, we'll talk about it. So, like, creatively... There's a ton of value and a ton of skill here. Um, but yeah, this this series in particular, I don't know. Like, I guess if somebody had, you know, I'll do this call out every so often, but like if somebody had like, hey, you should read this little Parpex story. I would love that recommendation because I haven't yeah. seen a lot of those. You know, and I don't because the, the alternative is just like, just read everything. And I don't yeah. want to do that. I, I mean, it went for <laughs> 61 issues. It's, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, okay. This, Anything else? Crossover with the Punisher and, uh, and Black Widow in 46. Yeah, that's wild. And, and like, they're going to show up in uh, I, I don't off the top of my head I think it's on Kenny X-Men 205 one yeah. of the ones we're gonna maybe it's 198 one of the ones we're gonna do on the list it's a Barry Windsor Smith drawn one in the snow with Wolverine and um you know it's gonna be the thing where like I think Katie Power maybe finds like a super bloody and beaten Wolverine in the snow and you know it, it helps to know who these power pet kids are because yeah. they show up at the darndest times um yeah. You know, so they're relevant Marvel Universe players, but their own series and, gets off to a rough And I think me. they're interesting in that, like, they stick around in Marvel. Like, they don't just vanish. They're still around into the 2000s. And yeah. then also no one knows about them. They're kind of like even a lesser known alpha play, I think, where it's just like when you find when you discover these, you're like, man, weird. There's a lot of this. Like, I would guess I, I would like guess more readers reader. now know at least members of Power Pack mm-hmm. more so than Alpha Flight. Um, but that's only because of connections to non-power pack books. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I looked it up. This series gets like a bunch of little mini series throughout the two thousands, like four issue mini series, but it never gets picked up again for a full series after this. Yeah, um, which is too bad. It was going to relaunch like, here in twenty twenty. Like, should uh, uh, comics ever pick up again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aren't they doing pull list this week again? Aren't comics coming back this week? Not exactly, hmm. and. The timeliness of that question will make it less relevant by the time you get this. Hopefully yep. things have changed. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, well, that's been the Dean's List. Bunch of weirdo <laughs> comics. Is that, is that how we sign off Dean's List apps? Mm-hmm. That's been the Dean's List. You all made the Dean's List. Oh, Congratulations. way to go, everybody. Yeah. Throw your hats in the air. Get a hat mm-hmm. and throw it in the air. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at Comic Book Herald. He's Zach. You can find his stuff at My Marvelous Year uh, on social. Generally arguing with me, making us look like two insane halves of a whole. And uh, <laughs> um, you can find music for the episode uh, by Disaster Piece. It's D-I-S-A-S-T-E-R-P-E-A-C-E. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of people end that with an O, so I like to spell it out. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Anything else we want to plug? No. Uh, if you're, um, let me know how you like this, like a weirdo collection of my comics, because s- someone was like, "Oh, so you're gonna do Dean's List for 1985?" Hell no. Hell no. This was too much work. But Hell no. Maybe he I'll says. jump to like 1993 and do this again sometime. <laughs> Please yeah. do. Please yeah. jump to 93. Um, I don't know, 93, but yeah. yeah. That, I might, maybe I'll do this intermittently every once in a while. Um, it'll be a special thing, but uh, this is too much work for me. Well, we appreciate that you, you tried yeah. so hard for one little episode, and you Thank nailed you. the Dean's List. Um, yeah, next time, coming up on a regular episode of My Marvelous Year, we're going to do some Fantastic Four, little Amazing Spider-Man, little Black Suit, uh, some Walt Simonson Thor. Excited mm. for that. And also that Captain America story we talked about building to the big house story. of the yeah, skull. Yeah, yeah yep. it definitely is. So thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, if you like the show, you can find out ways to support at patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. Please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes if you haven't already. Zach, it's been a pleasure. Listeners, we'll see you next year. See you next year. See you next year.